Hello, friends, and welcome to Pod Return to the Waking Sands. We are a Final Fantasy XIV companion podcast where we explore the lore and story of Heidelin and beyond. My name is Jen, and I'm joined by my co-host and researcher. I'm Levi. Hello, Levi. Hello, Jen. Today, we are continuing and completing the second coil of Bahamut. Then we'll be wrapping up with a special guest who has completed the coils on Savage Difficulty. But first, what happened last time, Jin? We did the first the first chunk of a uh, second coil. Um, so we met Nail Deus Darnus, uh, chased him through the Hulk, uh, fought a Medusa lady, fought a robot, fought a, this is not in the same order, fought a big plant. Uh, yeah, and now we're doing the last bit, the important bit, where he makes us pay for our sins against his children. So we are now on to the last turn of Second Coil, turn four, or turn nine of the overall sequence. Either way, we are now 6,329 yalms below the surface. It's impossible. We are riding an elevator down, but it bursts out of the elevator shaft into open air. So we have come from this underground structure into the clouds somehow. This is a hollow deck. Yeah. Spoilers, Jen. Holy oh, shit. Sorry. I mean, that was like, hey, why does it look like we're outside when we're 18,000 fucking feet underground? We are actually, Jen, in the clouds, and we land from our elevator on a floating island of Earth. The red moon Dalamud hangs low in the sky, and we see floating Earth islands with points of corrupted crystal at their bottoms that are dotting the sky. Nail Deus Darnus steps towards us, saying this is the resting place of Nail Von Darnus. This is a grave for the undeserving. And for trespassing on their god's sanctuary, this shall be our grave too. Alize whips open her arcanist tome and blasts Nail with a bolt of energy. It rockets Nail's helmet off, revealing a feminine face with white hair. This person goes on, saying that in Von Darnus's file moments, he felt a divine will reach out to him, and Nail Deus Darnus was born. And then did the words of my god resound in mine ears. They tip their head back and become awash in either. A surge of energy courses over their body, transforming them from her like Magitech imperial person into a muscular scantily clad demon-like creature with great wings and golden armor i think that she is supposed to read as like a dragon hybrid but honestly the silhouette is more demonic to me yes definitely okay not just me yeah it's like it's more bat wings than dragon wings yep yep nail goes on bring onto mine enemies crushing defeat that they might know despair without end and claim thee thus the victory which thou wert once denied. This is um, Bahamut speaking through Nail. So this is Bahamut's directive. Bring unto mine enemies crushing defeat. So Bahamut is instructing Nail, do this for me in service oh, of me. Oh, you're right. I actually didn't read that, but you're absolutely correct. This is Bahamut speaking through this body. While that's happening, Ali says on the sidelines, speculating that Bahamut plucked Nail's essence from oblivion in his final moments preceding the Battle of Cartano. But either way, we got to defeat Nail to proceed. Yes. 
this whole thing is a reimagining of the fight with Nail that was part of the capstone to the original Final Fantasy XIV. A literal reimagining, as this, of course, is an illusion. I'm thinking this place is pulling from Nail's memories to create this. There's no, quote, reason that we have to be fighting Nail in this simulated skyscape. But I think it's more that whatever technology is in here is pulling from Nail's memories and emotions. Maybe they want to redeem themselves or something. I don't really know. Or, you know, prove that they are stronger, prove that Nail Deus Darnus is stronger by defeating their enemy here. There's, there's, there is so much self-loathing in this fight. Yeah. And that's the reason Nail Deus exists. It's a rebirth and a re, it's a, it's a retry. Yep. So um, this is also a slight break for me to have a rant before we go on, because this is absolutely the worst case, I think, of the devs leaving the players who started playing with A Realm Reborn out to dry. The climatic end boss to second coil and an extremely difficult fight features a character and story moment that only original players can experience. Nobody who has started in A Realm Reborn, unless they have gone researching out of the game itself, knows what the fuck is going on here. Yeah. So it feels like it's really doing a disservice to those players. I'm sure that the 1.0 veterans were in love with this moment. Yeah. This is a thing they connect to, I'm sure. But for us people, though, who started later on, like... We don't give a fuck who this person is. We have, we don't know them. We don't know why they're important. We don't know why they're mad. We don't know anything. So we're, we're fighting a fucking bat lady for reasons in... And elegant stuff for a little bit more clear reasons. There there were moments it 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 hit me not at all, is I guess what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I mean that's fair. So we did this together, Jen. We did this unsynced together with a tour guide who was walking us and some other scrubs through all of Coil's unsynced. When they they drop this character here, like honestly, it makes me slightly mad legit that they just kind of force in this character that hits so hard for the original people, but has no connection for the new people. And, and people who are playing this game are still investing time in this thing. You know, like Coils is no no joke. Like it made me feel alienated from the game when I was like, okay, yes. so here's this thing that this big story moment and, and ties into this big story moment, which I cannot access as a, a player. Yeah. Like there's there's something here. But it's not for me. Yeah. And it makes me feel like like the awkward kid in the room that nobody's talking to. Anyway, so that is the end of that rant. Let's now contextualize this character. First off, we heavily went into the Battle of Cartineau in our Battle of Cartineau episode. So I give that a strong recommend for anyone who missed that or who wants a refresher on what the Battle of Cartineau was. However, um, either way, though, uh, let's talk about Nail. We actually had punted some nail details from the episode until this very moment, 50 or so episodes later, because we could not talk about Nail's full story at that time. Now we can, though. It's all out in the open, literally, because this armor doesn't leave much to the imagination. I get it. Thank you. I, yes. <clears throat> With this, we have now brought Nail's story to a close. Back in the beginning, Nail Von Darnus was the eldest daughter of an imperial house. However, her name back then was Eula, E-U-L-A, and her brother's name was Nail. 
So Nail, the real Nail, was killed during an ill-conceived mission that was ordered by their father. At least Eula believed it was ill-conceived. He came back mortally wounded from this mission, and Eula tried to save him but was unsuccessful. Her brother's death drove her to take on lethal vengeance against their father out of grief for her brother and probably anger from what she believed to be this ill-conceived dumbass assignment that her brother died on. So she kills her father, and then she takes on her brother's identity. As Nail, now, she becomes Nail Von Darnus, and Nail orders their father's inner circle executed and carries on, so Eula carries on Nail's career from there, becoming fully Nail Von Darnus in identity. So now everyone outside the house thinks that Nail's still alive and doing good shit, and everyone who is close to the truth is dead at Eula's hand. Jesus. However, there's a change in Nail too at this point, obviously. Nail becomes known as an absolutely ruthless commander caring for naught but victory. This is where Nail gains the title the White Raven. Because of the Raven's accolades, they were selected to lead the Eorzean invasion in Final Fantasy 1.0. So Nail shows up with the Seventh Legion. This is before he, at this time, he becomes tempered by Bahamut, the meteor, whatever, still in control of his faculties. And Nail has been, however, heavily involved in the meteor project because House Darnus donated artifacts, elegant artifacts, to the project. And so they have some serious strings on the project that Sid's father has been working on, the one that um, wiped out an entire city in the first experiment. So again, quick reminder there, the first time the meteor was contacted, it blew up Bosia. They shelve it for years, and then Nail brings it back saying, hey, we can do this properly this time. We can use the meteor to destroy the Eorzeans. We can do it right. When you say meteor, you mean Dalamud? Yes, correct. The meteor project is the Dalamud project. Dalamud is the meteor. Okay. Um, So anyway, Nail convinces the emperor, who is getting on in years and wants a win before he dies... Nail convinces him to use the meteor to wipe out Eorzea, since the earlier invasion of Eorzea was stymied. And to be clear, again, this is not going to be to conquer them. This is to say, okay, you guys don't surrender to us, so fuck you all. We'll occupy the blasted ruins of your civilization. So this brings us to the end of 1.0, where Nail is leading the 7th Legion and trying to call down the moon Dalamud which is supposedly as part of the invasion. However, at this point in time, Nail and the Seventh are acting more like a cult than like a legion. And now that we know more about primals than we did when we first began the game, we can probably say that Nail was indeed tempered at some point by Bahamut, and so stopped caring about the invasion and started caring more about freeing Bahamut from the moon, I'm guessing. Well, sure, because Bahamut's now like whispering in their ear. Yeah. Exactly. Nail posts up on a floating island, very much like the one we're on now, and Sid leads a band of adventurers here to strike Nail down before the meteor is summoned, before Dalamud is summoned. They succeed in killing Nail, however, it's too late to stop the meteor, so Dalamud descends, 1.0 ends, Calamity, etc., etc., as we know. We are now going to have our showdown with Nail Deus Darnus. 
if we haven't already pieced it together, Nail is the Imperial soldier we saw with Louis Swa at the end of the Binding Coil. That headpiece is extremely distinct. We can now say for sure that Nail and Louis Swa are being buds for some reason in the coil. Fuck knows why still. Last note on Nail before we move forward. Bear in mind that this is mostly speculation from ancient forum posts and Reddit posts and so on, as I don't think there's any official word, but the story I've heard, um, and I think that one of our members in our clear party was paraphrasing this too, in the Japanese version of 1.0, Nail's gender was left ambiguous, so when it came time for the English version to translate it, they had to make a guess to as to which pronoun to use for nail. And because apparently nail's physical body underneath the armor, like nail's actual character model was an, a male Ellison is what I hear. They assumed that nail was a male character. So started calling nail he in cutscenes. The story goes, and again, cannot confirm this, this is what I hear, but the story goes though, that this kind of gender ambiguity for nail that we're seeing now in turn four second coil this is kind of squaring the circle with regard to why nail was supposed to be a she maybe but then nail got a male pronoun in 1.0 in the english version so this story about eola taking on nail's identity and so on this brings all that mistranslation confusion together again i hear cannot confirm secondary sources only if you were playing in 1.0, did you know all of this background about Eula and... No. This was in the Encyclopedia Eorzea. So wow. the background... Again, this might have been a retcon to make things work. I don't know for sure. But the background about Eula is in the Encyclopedia Eorzea. So until that came out, I'm pretty sure there was no clarification as to why Nail looks like a boob demon in Second Coil. But had male pronouns in 1.0 yeah um i mean we all like to think that there was foresight here um and that they they knew of this family tragedy and the 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 assumption of her brother's identity and so using using he him pronouns obviously kept everybody else in the dark because i mean that's that's how everybody else would have known nail in real life because it was a secret but but why use, why make Nail Deus Darnus feminine if you didn't have to? Well, I, I assume that Nail may always have been meant to be feminine in like the Japanese creators' minds or maybe in their planning, but then they had to reconcile this pronoun issue with the English version. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, that seems like a lot of fucking work to be like, to fix a, a the use of a pronoun what if okay so like english gets translated whatever all, it's all good no one questions it period now second coil comes out and they create the nail character model nails feminine and like oh shit but we called him a guy back in, in 1.0 now what yeah well i mean it it would be cool if yeah like nail presented like in, in 1.0 like this this ruthless fucking legatus um was actually a woman. Um, that's pretty cool. But she acted like under her brother's name and like as a as a man or like whatever because I I don't know like 
Livia, she got real fucking high in the organization as a woman. So I don't know if there's there's a reason for like you know she's Eula she, she, adopted Nail's identity because she wanted to you know make sure that her brother's legacy would live on. He he deserved to live on, and she was going to be that for him for his memory. But also, was there a little bit of, well, I can only get so far as a woman, so I have to pretend to be a man? Like, is there some of that, too? I don't know. Obviously, the way that the game kind of is structured has changed as times have changed. And I think that 14 today is much more progressive. Like, it's obviously more progressive than 14 at the start. No question. So maybe even though the empire we know now, who gives a shit? Maybe back in like the 10 years ago days, maybe in the minds of the writers, the creators, that maybe it was more of like a, a male society. We, we do know Livia is high in the ranks too, but she's still subservient. It also has yeah. stuff. Um, <laughs> stuff. <laughs> um, so it's it's interesting, though, that like this, the the redo version of Nail is the feminine, meaning well, Eula. Um so Bahamut chose to resurrect Nail in that form because maybe as if she were able to behave or perform or, or uh, you know. Well, let's put a pin in that because there's actually more on the same subject when the fight's over. Right. So, like, yeah, that's that's all that. Okay. I'm pretty sure this has never been confirmed officially. So I think it's, it's largely speculation and rumor tied to this. So facts are unclear. Cool. Cool. Anyway, so yeah, putting a pin in that conversation for now. So, um, let's get to it. So fight time. This fight has some phases to it, Jen. Phase it has one. Some phases. Phase one. What happens? I can't remember the beginning of this fight at all. Okay. Nail's appearance never transforms in this fight. Nail is always the dragon demon. Yeah, yeah. Like the the halfway point, like, you haven't even seen my final form kind of moment. That happens right at the beginning. Yeah. Exactly. So it's done. <laughs> not not complaining, just just noting there's sure. no yeah. further evolution of Nail here. So we start the fight on, of course, that island in the sky, uh, the holodeck island in the sky. And the first thing we'll see is the move called Stardust. This will mark a random player with a marker over their head. Soon afterwards, a meteor will drop upon them. So uh, you're going to get an onk looking symbol above your head. So you get run out to the edge of the arena. Once the symbol disappears, then run away. Um, because it's a it's a proximity AOE. What falls where you are is a glowing veined chunk of rock. Yeah, a, it's like the meteor. shit you see in the Titan fight. The placement is very important because if you drop two of these things next to one another, they will explode and wipe the party full stop. Right. So you must be very precise as to where you place all of the meteors starting here. Right. Uh, I mean, yeah. So it's like you get you get marked with the meteor. You run away. You plant it. Um, a second person will also get marked with a meteor. It's a different symbol, but it's the same shit. Go to the other side of the arena. So, yeah. Also, we see during this phase the first lunar dynamo. 
Dynamo is one of our classic donut AoEs. So either you stand inside the boss's circle or way out, because uh, it'll hit people in the mid-range. Dynamo will appear during the fight at various times. It has a very fast cast bar, so you got to be close to a safe spot. Otherwise, you'll get got by it. Does that happen early on? I don't remember yeah, that. it does. Oh. We started to phase skip it once we got good at the first phase with our gear and echo. Okay, systems. yeah, I only remember that in the um, like the ice and fire yep. phase. There's also some tank busters, stack markers, spread, whatever, usual stuff. Uh, but the main thing in this phase is the stardust meteor drop. Once we get nail down to sixty-five percent, we're on to phase two. Nail will now fly away, and we'll now get green meteor markers. Okay, so we go immediately to the green meteor yes. markers? There are no meteors around the outside of the arena at this there point. There are already because of the phase one stuff. So there's two? Yes. Right, okay, got it. So these these three green meteors, they don't necessarily have to go in the center. There's So, you know, there are lines on the floor. Um, so in the middle of the arena, there are three circles triangulated, which make a nice little target for these three meteors. You you They're perfectly spaced. But this is if you've placed the previous two meteors far enough away for this to happen. So if like y'all panic in the first with the first two meteors, the stardusts, is that what they're called? Stardust? Yeah. Um, then you're gonna have to, you know, place these other meteors somewhere else far enough apart. But if you did it quote unquote correctly, the first two meteors will be on the perimeter, and then you can safely use those those three areas in the middle of the arena to place these three meteors. Right. If there are ever two meteors too close to one another, wipe, start over. Yeah. The end. So, like, correct. Like, look, correct, whatever. We had designated these little triangle markers on the outside border of the, the arena, and then, like, there's, like, a kind of fan-like symbols on the ground and triangles. Those are far enough apart from one another and from those central circles that if you always drop a meteor on one of those symbols, then you'll always be fine. So pretty much, uh, I'd say aim for those and you're good to go. Yeah, exactly. Um, these three meteors are going to turn into golems. Um, there's going to be a red one, a green one, and a blue one. Um, each of them will do their own stuff. Um, and they it, it you need to make sure that certain members of your party are grabbing... Um, certain golems. Right. If the golems get too close to one another at any point during the fight, they will combine and turn into an unbeatable super golem. Y'all will die. Start over. So the tank must pull one, the off tank must pull a second, and then the DPS will kind of clump up and, and tank a third. Yes, exactly. Um, but this is so this is specific. Um, the red one is the only one the DPS can um, can take and not die. Uh, the green one has a tank-specific uh, mechanic, so um, they're the only ones who can weather that guy. But yeah, you need to make sure that everybody's keeping them far enough apart, and also that the that two of them are eating, quote unquote, the meteors. You need to get them within like close range of one of the meteors. They'll tether to it and like and eat it. Yeah, the meteors that fell in phase one. And you need all of these meteors because this will happen again. Um, golems need to eat meteors so there are no meteors left on the arena. If they're left alone for too long, they will explode and kill the party. The, the meteors in the crowd. Yes. So after the golems eat their meteors, then we can kill the golems and the phase moves on. Now we get six of those Stardust meteor markers on random players. It can be on six different people. It can be three on the same person. You don't know. It's random. So... 
to prep for this, um, immediately after the golems eat the shit, um, you're going to kill the golems. Great. Now, everybody spread. Everybody go to, like, far away points um, around the perimeter of the arena um, and wait for the meteor symbol above your head. If you get it, you chill, wait for it to disappear, then run away because, again, it's another proximity AoE. Um, so what you're going to be doing is everybody's going to be, like, chilling on the on the perimeter, nicely spaced, waiting for their meteor. Once it happens, they run, like, clockwise whatever to the next spot to avoid the uh the damage and then you know then the next person will get targeted somewhere it, it's not going to go in order obviously but somewhere along the perimeter another person will get it targeted they're gonna have to drop it in a very particular spot the the bullshit of this is that the same person could get a meteor twice in a row it happened to us the person got it three times in a row in which case, they're going to have to, like, drop a meteor, run to the next point just in case. If they get it, then they're spaced far enough away. And then they will, that will shove the person who was in that spot to the left again. And so, like, you've got clumps of people, like, traveling along, like, hoping they don't get the fucking meteor thing. It's 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 kind of chaos. Yeah, it's actually, I think it's kind of great. I There are some combinations that are almost a guaranteed wipe because there's a very small window from when the marker appears to when it drops. So you, you cannot cross the arena if your side's full of meteors. You all just need to move like in a circle. But so you're also, moving the, 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 the smallest distance possible. It's very gratifying, too, to have that kind of organic shuffle happening as people make room for other people. So we all make sure we have enough safe space to drop our meteors in. Yep. We got very good at this by the time we were done. I mean, with you fight. can. Yeah, you can read it if you know what to expect, which is you don't know what to expect. Yep. So after we do all that and we've placed our meteors correctly, we get three more of the green meteor markers. Same deal. If you've placed your six prior meteors in the right places, you can drop the three green ones in those central circles. They're safe. Exact same thing. Golems hatch. You feed the golems the meteors. You cannot feed one golem more than three meteors. So you'll have to kind of adapt on the fly to bring the right golems to the right place and not get them too close to one another. Otherwise, they will merge and you'll wipe so voice chat very helpful calling out okay i'm taking this golem here you know i'm going clockwise whatever you cannot guarantee where these things fall in respect to one another or like which meteor is going to be the dps golem for Correct. instance so yep. you got to adapt it's really fluid i like the fact that you can't just like plan it you've got to look at the situation and react you can react in time if you're fast enough to come out of a kind of a bomb situation Maybe the DPS golem eats three meteors because that's where things landed. I don't know. Yep. But like you can do it. It's fine. Yeah. Anyway, once we do that and kill those golems, then we're on to the next phase. Before the actual fight, I do want to call out the lyrics to Nail's song in phase two. The song title is Rise of the White Raven. Hmm. Uh, they go. From on high, he marks the past, marks the present marks the future a revolution is upon us all the gods are dead machines will rule the heavens reason will rule the land exalt we the white raven behold his wings enfold the world he calls down the red light of destruction he glows with the red light of victory the empire hail to the empire bear witness to the advent of fate bear witness to the advent of dalamud 
obviously about nail before tempering, but still extremely metal. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much metal. <laughs> So, we have Nail coming back soon and casting a Mega Flare. So, we're going to stack up with the main tank separate from the party. Nail will count down to a Mega Flare, big ass raid wide, mid up as usual. Mm -hmm. Then Nail drops down on the main tank. Hope they're not stacked with the party. Yeah, there are, there are positions for this. Um, you do have to kind of get the sweet spot uh, because the heavens fall. When nail reappears the holodeck shifts and the entire arena transforms we have left now you're on Cartano, aren't yes you? we are now in the fields of Cartano. yeah you'll see like garlean this wreckage. is fucking metal as shit like yeah. it looks just like that Cartano cutscene that we get after um we meet the leaders it's like deep red light everywhere yeah, exactly and overcast smoldering sky wreckage. it's so good yeah so we are here and the first thing nail does is cast heaven's fall Heaven's Fall summons a fragment of Dalamu that slams down in the center of the arena. This is a fucking chunk of moon that wham, down it goes. If you're inside of it, you die in one shot. Good night. If not, you're knocked back towards the arena edge. Like most raid fights, the arena border is a death wall. So you got to make sure that you're either use your knockback mitigation or you place yourself where you're not going to get knocked into the arena wall from the Heaven's Fall knockback. And now welcome to the shit, Jin. This fucking phase is a mess. Yes. Um, good. I still don't know. I, I still don't know. Well, um, the next thing <laughs> yeah. that happens is that a ghost of Maricidia, this is another one of those dragons like the ones that we fought in the Twintania fight. This will appear in the arena, kill the ad, it'll drop like a fire puddle. Someone gets like a garrote debuff on them. You got to run into the, into the puddles that are left behind to cleanse it. Whatever. It's fine. This mini phase is only till nails at 47% health. It's pretty straightforward. Just some tank busters, the, the ad and so on, whatever. 47% though is where it enters the shit. So first off, bear in mind that the boss now gets powered up tank busters that get stronger as the fight goes on to the point where the tank must use their invulnerability to survive the tank buster. So is there a cast bar? Fuck no, Jen. It's fucking coils. There's no cast bars. Yeah. You got to know the order of the casts to know when to invuln up against the tank buster that will kill you, even with tons of mitt. Also, we got, of course, more lunar dynamos, the donut AoEs. Uh, we have supernovas, which are gravity balls that will suck players into them and apply heavy. So if you are caught into one of these kind of like black hole gravity balls i never saw these <laughs> i guarantee you died to them probably but i never saw them that's probably why i died to them <laughs> people were kept like so what about these black holes i'm like what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> i don't know 
where black holes are happening or what they're called. I'm running around because it's ice and then it's fire and then it's ice and it's fire. Black, I don't know. Pretty much. I can't comment. Voss will drop these black holes. If you're stacked with the party and one appears on you, it can wipe out like half the party easy. Is that the is that the marker on top that looks like an ice sprite? The marker on top? The, when you, when you the, the, the black hole marker or whatever, like three people get it? Yeah. It looks like an ice sprite. It's like light purple. Maybe. That, which is, it's like a spread thing, right? Yeah. Like get away from everybody? Yep. Okay. Okay. Anyway, then fire and ice shit. So there'll be more of these dragons on the outside, more ghosts of Maricidia who are going to be spitting in either fireballs or ice balls. If you get two of the debuffs applied by these, you will die. Obviously, fire cancels out ice. So you get two fires or you get two ices rip you. So what you got to do is you have to stagger your positioning so that the ice effects cancel out the fire effects and vice versa. So you maintain your elemental balance. The way you do this is that you have to group up for certain fireballs and disperse for other fireballs to make sure that the ice attacks have time to cancel out the fire before you group up for the next fireball. In brief, there are going to be four fireballs in this phase. For the first one, the person with the fireball marker is like an orange tether. They run away from the party. For the second fireball, you stack up, get hit all together. This will knock out the ice debuffs you've accrued since then. For the third fireball tether, that tether player runs away again. For the fourth one, you group up and you'll have ice again at this point in time. So off goes the ice, on goes the fire. Mechanic result. Easy-ish, sure. But mm. the goddamn lightning. Yeah, that will f- that will ruin everything. It it seems innocent enough. Like, oh, an elemental debuff. Cool, I'm getting like hit with lightning, you know, in like a, I don't know, like a five mile radius around you. Um, so while you're doing the out in, out in for the fire ice shenanigans, somebody is going to get, um, the lightning debuff. So they need, as soon as you figure out who that poor asshole is, they need to get, get away from everybody because that lightning strike that's hitting them repeatedly will give paralysis to everybody else around them that to give paralysis to everybody else around them and do massive damage and massive damage um but the paralysis that's the thing that's the insidious thing that will probably wipe your shit um because you're in a situation where everybody has to move you have to keep moving you have to be in spots and because that the paralysis will persist into the next phase which is the dragon dive bombing shit it is a 30 second non-curable paralysis debuff so you're just trying to get to get to your marks get to the get to in the donut get away from the donut but you can't because you're paralyzed um and that you know like i said it seems like you know well we've we've had uh lightning damage and 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 paralysis before in fights and it's like it's inconvenient sure but um, no, this this will ruin you uh, because people who are trying to run away from you can't. And so their shit will hit everybody because they can't run away. And oh, uh, it just it snowballs. Well, this mechanic like legit sucks. No, no BS, no exaggeration. You get like a tiny debuff on you. I hope that you have changed your UI to actually make your debuffs be Huge. large and in your face. Because there's there's no other indicator. You just have to look for the little symbol right. somewhere so and know what it means. Check your debuffs, and if you see the debuff appear on you, you have a few seconds to run before it goes off. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, like the worst of like the gotcha debuff mechanics in this game. Sure, I, I'm like watching the map. I'm dodging the stuff. I'm looking for the fireball player, etc. Looking for that little debuff on top of things as well. And knowing that you'll wipe the party if you don't get the fuck out with this debuff. It is, um, yeah, it is way too much to demand. There's got to be a visual indicator that is visible on your actual character. So you can say, hey, I'm I'm lightning guy now. Yeah, some like pulsing purple something over your head. A purple middle g- finger. I, something other than, it, like literally, it's only the tiny little debuff symbol that tells you what the fuck. Yep. And then after all that, then we get dive bombs, our old friend from turn five. There will be more dragons, more ghosts of Mare City on the outside. They will mark players with dive bomb markers. If you get hit by them... You'll get knocked back a fair distance, just like in turn five. And there's a death wall, just like in turn five. So you're probably going to lose a lot of people to the death wall. So. Yeah. <laughs> so this is another thing where I like I couldn't... There, there's a rule. Okay, there's like, if there's two dragons, it's this. If it's three dragons, it's this. If it's zero dragons, it's this. But I was like, I swear to God, I'm seeing three dragons every single time. But it, it was different. I, I, I hate a mechanic where you have to swing your camera around wildly to figure out where everything is. Yeah. Apparently, this I just trusted somebody else to count dragons and tell us where to go. So that is most of it, pretty much. If you can do those things, you can probably get the clear. We did not get the clear on our run. We got the boss down to 2% health. We hit our, our timer on the instance. We set like a one run timer on it. So we had to call it there. 2% good enough. Yeah. Yeah. Getting that close on like one sitting is super great. Great work, everyone. This fight's a pain in the ass. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people, this this was like the most difficult content they'd ever attempted. Yeah. So, you know, go us. No, everyone did great. Like, seriously, we got the first phases down so clean all the way through meteors in the first chunk of the, the final mechanics. Yeah, we didn't even have to think perfect. about it at that point. No. Um, but it's this, it's this, it's the final phase. It was just, it was just so much. Um, so many, like, in each, each new mechanic was an opportunity for a variety of things to happen and you had to be on top of any like circumstance any combination of these things because it's not like oh well you know we know like a a healer or a tank is going to get the lightning so they got to be on top of like no it could be anybody it could be fucking anybody after we defeat nail nail collapses and the holodeck environment fades revealing that we're in some sort of i think someone called it like a klingon holodeck which is like spot on it is kind of brutal, hard angles, red triangles that are framing this battleground that we're on. We're again in some underground cave with this holodeck structure around our arena. I think it's like a 12-sided hedron. And there, there's that elegant like red glowing circuitry on the interior walls. After the environment fades, we regroup with Alize and we see someone stumbling towards us. This is Nail back in their human form named as nail van darnus yes no helmet still uh in in the magitech armor without the helmet white-haired feminine Mm -hmm. face Mm -hmm. alice remarks that she is a pitiful creature reanimated and ensnared by bahamut but nail denies this it seems like the real nail has regained their senses with their defeat they realize they have become ensorcelled by a primal the very thing that the Empire swore to destroy. Uh, yeah. So there's like a she's she's not she hasn't achieved this clarity immediately. She reacts earnestly to Alize's insinuating that you know like her her deity Bahamut 
no longer deems her worthy of existence or protection or whatever. Um, and Nail is like, fuck you, I don't worship icons. She's like, wait a second. Then what was all that? Who am I? I mean, so yeah, in the in before they were tempered. That's that was like their whole jam, right? This is the this is the the, the girlian shit. Removing the primal scourge from Eorzea so you know we could rule by logic and reason. Jin, may I remind you that all the gods are dead. Machines will rule the heavens. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, it, reason will rule the land. Uh, reason will prevail. So, um, she was. So she's like, yeah, no, like you know, fuck icons, but, but also, I've been, like, possessed by one, uh, for a really long time, and she's she, now she's wondering like what. What is this? What is this body that I'm in? Alize is dumbstruck by this. There has never been a known case of someone becoming untempered. Correct. Perhaps since Nail failed Bahamut, then he is done with Nail. Correct. Now. So Nail and Alize are, you know, Alize is making these observations, and Nail is, is responding in a way that you know we did not expect um, as someone who is tempered and was so so deep in the fucking Kool Aid. But they're like, okay, so, you know, their thoughts have been clouded. The fog is beginning to lift. Is Alizé speaking true? And so this is when, like, so Nail is having this, these, these, where she's, like, questioning herself and what she's doing, where she is. And Alizé is like, what is happening? Um, So, yeah, watching someone tempered, like, come to is not a thing that happens. Um, the only way that could happen is Bahama relinquishing control because they're, you know, like, ah, oh, fuck you. You're not useful to me anymore. And the realization that that they actually succumb to a primal's tempering is um, devastating for Nail. And it's just, it's like the worst kind of irony. Um, just good God. Um, however, that said... Uh, Nail makes a point to say that Meteor was 100% their decision. Like, you know, in the before times, before they were operating under Bahamut's will, um, this is just like I was doing this of, of my own volition. I take credit for that. The the whole thing with the the hatching of Dalamud and freeing Bahamut, that came after the tempering, presumably. But the plan, though, to destroy Eorzea with Dalamud that was conceived of a cold, reasonable mind. Correct. Yeah. So those motivation it was the motivations changed. Um, you know, they wanted to use Talamu to destroy Eorzea for one reason, and then eventually she was like, "But I want to do it to release Bahamut now." Yep. So Alize begs Nail to reveal the truth of the calamity. What happened during that event, and what happened to Louis Swa? Especially now, Alize has all the tools she needs to answer that question. Correct. But, you know, denial, all that stuff. It's 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 hard. It doesn't take her long, you know, but... Nail says the exact same thing, though. Continue on if you would have your answers. They await at the terminus of your path. But know that this path leads only to despair. The light of truth was ever harsh and unforgiving. Yeah. She's like, you know, yeah, you'll find out what you want to know. You're not going to be happy about it. Nail starts now to wax on about how much suffering is in Alice's future, but a spear of light emerges from above, 
piercing the structure that we're in and striking nail through the chest. A voice speaks from afar. Silence, chattering raven. Your wretched wings are broken and you shall soar no more. In her final moments, Nail glimpses a vision of Dalamut again and reaches out to it before expiring. Mm-hmm. This is not a voice scene. It's all in text. But Alice recognizes the voice that spoke those words. It would never do that, she says. Louis Soi, obviously. Correct. Um, you know, these are, these are things he would never say. We press on and arrive back in the Bahamut containment chamber, but from a different entrance. We're now at a different angle to the regenerating primal. Alice prepares to disable the controls, this, this coil, this hulk. Right. She notes that Bahamut has regenerated further. Our time is running out before the primal regains his form. So at this point, she goes to uh, disable one of the coils. That's like the whole point we're here, the whole reason we're here. She speaks to us and kind of bears her heart um, uh, to us, the warrior of light. You know, uh, forgive me. The moment I beheld Nail's transformation, hope wilted in my heart. I did not believe you could stand against the manifestation of Bahamut's power. So, I mean, like, she doubted us. She doubted this whole thing. Um, and it worked out. Um, but she, in that moment, feared another great loss at the hands of Bahamut. And, you know, yet here we are. Um, and in fucking... Uh, Alize, these, these kids, I mean, they're... They're special, but... They're special in a way that they can experience this type of devastation and, you know, like, total annihilation of their, these, these, like, emotional constructs and still turn it around and say shit like, "'Tis incredible the feats of which we are capable, our boundless potential." So she's, like, turning it around and, like, aren't we amazing? Which is almost inhuman to me. So, yeah, her response to a devastating loss and the threat of another is to look forward with hope. And it was this capacity for greatness that her grandfather had always hoped to enshrine in perpetuity with his sacrifice. Um, so, like, la da 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 Like, I don't, I don't need ghost grandpa anymore. Like, look at all of the things that I have learned today. And that is when we attempt to leave. Alice disables the Hulk and the energy beam dissipates. As we prepare to head back to the surface and regroup for the final coil, someone appears from behind us. It's Louis Swa. He blasts Alice with a bolt of energy, knocking her over. It was just a warning shot, though. He tells us to abandon our quest and he will not countenance further sabotage of the coils. So this this is deeply upsetting for Elise for reasons. Quick note here. If we assume that Louis Swa is in Bahamut's service, which I think is almost guaranteed, yes. This means that the coils are a good thing for Bahamut. Correct. He needs them. It's not keeping him in check. It is now... It's, it's rebuilding him. Yes. Yes. The coils and him are one effectively at this point in time. We can also infer... Going back to the earlier comments that Bahamut has commandeered the entire structure or structures because of all the other shit that is now working in his service. Right. This is bad. Anyway, Louis Wa is telling us to 
to knock it off now, leave the coils alone. Mm-hmm. And Alize is still the last shred of denial going on here. She's like, but if we don't disable the coils, then Bahamut will revive? Why wouldn't you want us to do this? Well, I mean, obviously, because he's not Louis Soir, girlfriend. Um, and so he says that uh, this confirms that her defiance has sealed her fate. And it goes on to spout more primal propaganda. You know, we all exist at the pleasure of one divine will, Bahamut's. Uh, the word of Bahamut is absolute, blah, blah, blah. And his eyes start to glow red, like, okay, bro is possessed. Scurry back into your holes, vermin. You have been granted this one reprieve, but should you be so foolish as to crawl into my lord's domain again, I will crush the life from you myself. So, um, this is this is the light bulb moment for Elise. So, her short-term goal here, because her greater goal has not changed, obviously, but right now, standing in front of a thing that looks like her grandfather, it's to free her grandfather's soul from Bahamut's tyranny. This we can do. And at least, you know, no, so now she can see that this is a shade. And um, Eorzea and my family will be avenged. We leave for now and return back in northern Thanalan, just like last time. This coil emerges up in the Cerulean fields. And we pray return to the waking sands while Alize gathers her thoughts. We get back there and explain what happened to Orion J and recall that he too was a disciple of Louis Swa. And he is pained by our retelling, so no telling then what Alice feels having No, you know, he is he's deeply concerned. Yeah. I mean he is a he is a very sympathetic person despite how he might <laughs> present. Orianje wonders if Alice should recuse herself from further forays, but she steps in, she arrives back at this point in time and says, Hell nah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not out of this I, I'm, we're gonna finish this shit ourselves <laughs> he's like like she is purposefully seeking out every fucking trigger to her deepest traumas <laughs> maybe stop it, it yeah so this is when Orianger gives a little exhibition here yeah he talks um, about Nail and speculates that Nail become tempered when the Empire constructed the Lunar Relay mm-hmm. which is the substitute for the Crystal Tower because the Crystal Tower was only discovered after the Calamity, so they had to create a surrogate to contact the- And control it. Yeah, yeah. to contact Alamud. Oddly here, this adds more confusion and kind of more fuel to the, the Nail fire. Orianje is adamant that Nail was a man and that Bahamut reincarnated Nail incorrectly. Because he talks a lot about like how he, he fucked up that recreation of Nail, but it was good enough to serve Bahamut's needs, so it's all good. I think that, honestly, he's full of shit. Orianji would not know better because he only knows... that He knows what we know. Exactly. Correct. So, So, of course, he'd be like, no, but Nail was a man. Like, well, as far as you know. But, I mean, I I think, though... But he he knows enough about, you know, the the quote-unquote noble house of Vandarnas. How would he not know there was, like, a sister? And that, you know, if he was... If Bahamut resurrected Nail, then, you know, perhaps he chose the form of Nail's sister as the form because nail the og didn't do it right he just says that bahamut didn't give a shit enough so resurrected nail incorrectly i think that he is emphatically wrong i yes and that like shame on you orianje for having a theory that is so fucking sloppy yeah that it or or it 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 speaks to bahamut just being so fucking careless in their their resurrecting 
Uh, that's not something that is, that is done lightly, especially when it's one of your own fucking disciples. And I think also because when we have that moment of clarity from Nail at the end, Nail doesn't say, oh, I'm actually Eula. There have been additions to the work as time's gone on, but we only have the game as it presents itself now. Assuming all, all that we know as canon goes together, Nail doesn't go, oh, wait, I'm I'm actually Eula in this cutscene. Nail says, I am Nail. Correct. Like, Nail has become no, this, this is, person. No, this is like deep psychosis. She has, like, completely assumed the identity. So seeing herself in her, like, what is essentially her own, pose for her own body, yeah. her own form, she can't recognize it anymore because she just, yeah, buried that deep. It, it's yep. not it's not her identity anymore. Um, So, like, that makes sense. That checks out. Um, But, come on, Arianche, like... <laughs> Oh, Bahama just like fucked up, you know, whatever. So Arianje presses Alice again here. Can she really contemplate a course of action that pits her against the visage of her grandfather? Yes, she answers. His freedom can only be won by the destruction of Bahamut. And now Alice leaves to go prep, I'm assuming. And Arianje introspects out loud. This is one more of those kind of thesis statements of the storyline in like one sentence. Long have I believed the pursuit of such treasures to be the duty of every true Charlayan, but each new revelation serveth only to heap further anguish upon those whom we would fain protect. Yep. Coils.txt. Ignorance is bliss. And at that, um, we are dismissed as Alize and Orianje seek the entrance to the final coil. But outside the break room, Alpha knows being a creeper. He is peering around the corner and muttering to himself about if his dear sister has finally found her resolve. <laughs> will you, Ali say, he says to, to no one, will you find a use for the secret, for the key that only you and I hold? Given our propensity for curiosity, you would do well to remember that keys may serve to seal doors as well as unlock them. And Bahamut is a most unwelcome guest to whom the door should never have been opened. Yeah, well, too late. I'm sure that the the Waking Sands is very impressed at this monologue, Alphano, that you're saying to well, yourself. Well, Alphano's impressed at this monologue. There we go. Yep. <laughs> this fucking Audience guy. of one. Yeah. The only one that matters. Any thoughts, Jen, before we move on to our talk about Savage Coils? I mean, yes and no. I, I, there is, there is so much to unpack, especially with like Nail's struggle <laughs> with like, I, like that's, that's a, that's a whole thing. That's a whole goddamn book. Um, the Nail, Eula, the Van Darnus situation, like that, the, the fact that we could feasibly drill down into that, like, let's talk about the Van Darnuses. Like, we could. We could speculate all day long about, like, the interpersonal dynamics and, um, you know, the the, the the military structure at large in, in Garlemald and whatever. Like, but but no, I, I, I couldn't possibly. So now we move on to an interview with one of our listeners. We are fortunate to have someone who has actually completed Coil's Savage synced on our Discord. They were kind enough to give us a lengthy talk about what that experience was like. Yeah, hearing him talk about it really 
confirm the decision like maybe we don't do coil savage <laughs> yep um the the amount of patience you need um i mean you really gotta want it and i just don't um <laughs> And, you know, and you'll you'll hear in the interview, like, but like, what do you get? <laughs> it's He's just you you get to know that you did it, basically. Like there, there isn't like a special mount or, you know, whatever. It's just you, you do get a title, but you can you can do it unsynced and still get it. So like, who cares? So it's, it's really just something you hold in your heart and like, no, deep down. Yep. Yes, I did it, which is great. You know, that's fine. Um like I, I get that. Uh, but yeah, our experience with Savage is obviously much later in the game. We did, we did Endwalker shit. We did Endwalker Savage, the the Pandemonium yeah. series, yep. and that was that was our first go around with Savage in general. Um, and it was it was punishing, and we did it for what like two nights a week, thereabouts. Yeah, yeah. So well, like six hours a week. Like, like it's you. You gotta chunk out serious time for this. Mm-hmm. And knowing all of the shit that we had to coordinate and do um, in a modern Savage raid series and all of the shit that they still hadn't figured out in or that had yet to figure it out in um, Coil Savage, I I don't know how you you handle it. Um, but we'll we'll let uh, we'll let Daniel talk about all those fun little uh, quirks of Savage Coils. And it was, uh, yeah, it was it was great to hear. I'm glad he's done it. We don't have to. Fantastic. So do bear in mind, this was done on different audio devices than our normal recording tools. Yeah, so the a little shitty. Yeah, the audio is going to be worse. <laughs> Apologies. Uh, but also um, tons of knowledge, tons of interesting facts about this type of content. Uh, these runs definitely worth listening to yeah so, maybe it'll talk you out of it or maybe it will convince you <laughs> so enjoy we are here with Farinay, uh who has joined us for two of the synced coils runs so far Farinay has uh, run through all of coils savage which is a very impressive accomplishment Farinay, would you tell us a bit about yourself please so i'm well i'm daniel in real life and Farinay in the game and the uh, yeah, I have been playing since about three years now. So I started sort of in the middle of the pandemic. And then I started raiding and I got in with like a group of people that wanted to do all the raids in order. So we went through, started going through the level 50 raids in April of 2020, April of 2021. And we're finishing up the level 80 raids by now it took a while <laughs> so after playing for about six months i started doing raiding with coils which is not quite the same as doing like current raiding but it was certainly of an course experience. but still <laughs> do you do minimum eye level or do you do it regular synced the normal so the first time i went we all went through coils we did normal synced which at that time was pretty difficult for us and then yeah. later done it with other groups, minimum item level. And right now we're all doing um, Eden minimum item level, which is very difficult. Oh my God. Yeah, that is hardcore. Yeah. I'm, I'm very impressed. You could just unsync obviously and stop that stuff, but no, you're, you're progging legit. Oh yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Dan, uh, can I ask, um, why, 
why do all that rating? <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> like the rating, the rating I get, um, and then, but I guess I get, I guess I can get all of it doing it all on, on minimum eye level because that's that's fucking cred. Oh, but thank you. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm just you know, is, we, uh, was, what's the impetus behind behind your decision? Uh, the group that I did it with, we went through Coils and Alexander and Omega, normal synced. And uh, by that point, we were just getting better at the game and we wanted more of a challenge. So we switched over to minimum, minimum item level when we that started raids. And then I uh, have done some of the older raids with other groups, minimum item level. So I did not do Savage Coils on mine. Um, Savage Coils, there's no echo for Savage Coils. But, um, so we did higher item level, um, but no, no echo. I think that's a fair trade. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. So I understand there's only a Savage version of Second Coil, not yeah. First or Third. Mm-hmm. Um, I have heard a million different stories about why it exists, and they all boil down to like the devs were experimenting with something harder for... You know, this was before there were Ultimates, so this was yeah. at that, the hardest content in the game. Is Savage still level 50? Is it like synced down yeah. level 50? It is all synced down to level 50. God, it is it is absolutely insane for level 50 stuff. It, it makes it very difficult on the healers. <laughs> oh yeah, missing like some tools not, there. <laughs> if, you, if you played a lot of like white maids at level 50, like you yep. know, you'd, Oh no. <laughs> So, do you have a, a white mage in your in your group in your static? Uh, let's. So I just watched all our clear videos to <laughs> because it, we finished about a year. We finished turn nine about a year ago, and so yeah, we had a white mage, and then um, a sage or a scholar. I think what we did, we had a scholar for six and seven because sage didn't exist yet. Fair. And we, Sage for eight and nine. So how long did it take you to prog through all of Savage Coils? So it took... So after we finished Normal Coils, we made a pretty bad decision to spend four nights a week trying to do turn six. And and we all went insane. And that took about a month of four nights a week. And that was really hard. Um, Now... Other, I know of more experienced raiders that have cleared it much, much quicker than that. But this was like, we were like just starting out with raiding. And, and uh, that was, yeah, that, that was a big step up in difficulty for us, like really noob raiders at that point. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. the, making the decision to jump into that level of content after, like you, you started Final Fantasy fourteen just in fucking general in April, 2020. So no, in um, October, 2020. So it's about six months after I started playing, we started doing. That's, that's what but, I'm saying, dude. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting yeah. into this fucking huge ass ordeal that is Final Fantasy 14, six months into it as a playable character. I'm like, you know what? I want to do the hardest shit there is. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs>
I don't, I was not the person who made the choice. I was just like, yeah, sure. I'll go along and do Savage Squirrels. Yeah. But, um, turn six, we kind of went insane, but then we cleared it. And then we spent, there were two parallel groups doing turn seven. And one of them was doing it for over a year. And then my group was doing it for like six or seven months and they eventually sort of merged. Some people <laughs> dropped out. Some people dropped, like, enough people dropped out that the two groups kind of merged. And we got a clear in November of 2021. So let's hit the turns in order. I had not heard turn six come up yet. So how is that one? That one's a pretty much a snooze on regular synced. Yes. Yeah, so regular synced, that's not, it's not even that difficult on mine um, because it's just, you don't need, you can kind of brute force through a lot of the mechanics, but on Savage, you cannot brute force through the mechanics. So it is like, do you want me to go through mechanics or? Let's talk about the trash pulls first. There are two groups of golems before you even reach the boss. How is that on Savage? I wasn't aware that the, see, I'm like, I'm still a new player. Um, <laughs> I consider myself new. I will never let go of my sprout. Um <laughs> So, so when you say turn six, that actually means second coil, first turn. Yes. Okay, got it. All right. Yes, that's right. So turn six, because there's five coil, five turns in first coils. In first coil, correct. All right. So I just want to make sure that we're like using the same language here. That's perfect. So turn six, um, the trash pulls, they're a little, they hit a little bit harder, but they, like, I don't think we ever actually wiped to the trash pulls. I guess, you know, as we hit the bosses here, uh, rather than they go by all the mechanics, what are the most distinct ones for you? Do they add in new mechanics that do not appear in normal? In um, turn six, the, the main difference is that the mechanics are coming up more often. It's the same mechanics, but they're coming up more often and you have to do them all. There's no brute forcing through it which you can brute force in the normal. The normal is what's supposed to be a savage level difficult. Right, so it's like savage squared for the actual coil savage. The, the savage coils are supposed to be kind of like harder than normal savage, but not as hard as an ultimate, I guess. The main mechanic that took forever is this um, mechanic where there are these slugs and you have to just very carefully burn them down one at a time and you need to knock the slug down past 50%. It will then go and eat a honey and become a big slug. And then you need to kill the big slug. And you need to do that very carefully one slug at a time for six slugs. And that was probably the biggest wall for our group because it just requires a high level of coordination. So why the honey mechanic? Because I think in our, our run, we just kill the slugs and called it good, right? So what happens if you don't feed the slug correctly? The honeys do raid-wide damage if they are alive. So then the only way to get rid of the honey uh -huh. is to have the slug eat it. But if you have two slugs eat a honey at the same time, I think they do like a big raid-wide and will wipe you. So you have to like very, in like a very careful, coordinated fashion, go through each slug burn it down to 50, yep. let it eat a honey, kill it, 
then move to the next slug. Are all six slugs uh, in the arena at one time, or do they pop up sequentially? It's three, and so you have to kill, do three of them, and then the boss will cast their um, leaf storm, I think, is the move that sort of resets it. So it's basically like going through the gotcha. whole cycle. So twice. it's like you're, you're babysitting two to make sure they don't eat honey and then dealing with the one. I, yeah, I can totally see how that is insane. Yeah, so it just requires a lot of coordination to just very carefully hit them one at a time and like carefully bring them down to 50% and then burn them down after they become big. So yeah, that that was what took the most time for turn six. Any other noteworthy mechanics in turn six? There's a big like welcome to Savage Coils moment where the boss has a move called Blighted Bouquet. This is in normal... Um, the boss has a move called Blighted Bouquet, where you just have to stop. It will kill you if you do any move while it's casting Blighted Bouquet. And you just have to stop. And Savage Coils, or Reflesia, does that move right at the beginning of the fight. Uh, of like when new groups do it for the first time, almost well, all of the group dies to that. Such <laughs> a mindfuck you throw out at the beginning and, of a fight. That's really rude. Yeah, but it's... It's not necessarily the hardest mechanic. It's just like... No, it's totally unexpected. It's just that first one throws everyone off when they see it at the very beginning of the fight. Yeah, well fucking played Square Enix. But it's useful because (laughs) that mechanic shows up, like a mechanic similar to that, right? Where you have to stop. Yeah. Show up in a lot of different fights. But it's in um, Fall Guys, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. The acceleration (laughs) bomb. Yeah, so, so you get practice for Fall Guys. So on then to turn seven, are the trash fights here similarly easy? Uh, yeah, they're not that difficult, but we did have people in our party who tried to kill people with the rescue. Out of boredom? <laughs> we spent a lot of time on turn seven. Yeah, so it's like the chore you got to do before you actually can do the real fight. Yeah. Just kill the trash every time you queue in. All right, so turn seven. That, so that's the hardest one, um, because turn seven normal is is not the hardest of the normal coils, by any means, but turn seven savage is just really, really picky and difficult. Yeah, I think we got um, some, some hints of how that could be turned up to eleven in in a lot of ways. Um, again, it's it's very much like a choreographed dance, yep. and I think like Levi has has issues when it gets to the point where you know you're you're basically coordinating this dance and everybody has to hit their mark spot on every time or it's it's a it's a wipe i kind of it's it's fun it's different but um i like we had we had a lot of that in, in the normal mode already like somebody has to to grab the cyclops and pull them to a different spot and then you're everybody has to behave a very certain yep. way to get is you know yep. like especially when there's always like an enemy that you have to keep alive for some reason and not kill it um we had that in uh, garuda extreme of course like you had yep. to pick a thing and like nobody kill this thing and um, at the same time, there are ads and, and everybody also has these debuffs that you have to utilize the debuff in order to control the other things that are on in the arena, um, which I think is, is, is fun. Um, but not when, you know, one person fucks up a thing and then everybody dies and you have to start. Yep, over again. That, that's basically how it is. Yeah, no, no, that, that's exactly what it's like, is it's like everyone has to do everything perfectly or. But it's so, it's so satisfying. So yeah, in my opinion, I don't know. 
So on Savage Mode, if you get petrified, is that a wipe for the whole party, or can you recover? Being petrified in Savage is a one minute. So I think it's like 10 or 15 seconds wow. in normal, but it's... Holy shit. And so the old... You're not... What you have to do is you just have to get killed. <laughs> just hope to die. So I, I just watched our clear video, and I think one person got petrified. And so someone ran over to them and baited a fire attack so that they would get killed and then they could get rezzed. Wow. That is so rude. You're worse than dead. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, there's just a lot of... So one of the things that makes Savage Coils not really a great raiding experience, like why I would probably not recommend it, um, besides being level 50, is that there's just so much RNG in it Uh, compared to the newer raids where they think you know, sometimes people complain about the newer raids being very scripted. Yep. The level of RNG, like, like so you saw the, the big giant dude, right? The big Renode. Yeah. Pops up in a random spot, right? And there's two in Savage. So if there's two of them popping up, right, and you're trying to drag them to the correct spot, there's all kinds of times it's going to work out that the geometry is just going to be really yes. awful. And it's going to be really hard to, like, the healer needs to turn the thing turn the thing to stone, right? But not turn the person kiting it to stone. Oh yeah. Positioning has to be so precise. Yes. And so you think about that, right? With two of them popping up in random crazy. spots, right? Again and again. And it just gets to be a mess. The one sort of like thing that I feel like like kind of exemplifies it all is you can actually die from a mistimed reprisal or a mistimed circle of scorn. If the Renault pops up right where the tank is, and the tank casts reprisal right then, then that will cause the Renault to tether to the tank. Oh, the reprisal debuff counts as attacking the ogre, yeah. the Cyclops. Repri- wow, that is so rude. So it counts as attacking it. Then the ogre will immediately one-shot the tank, and will just run around like crazy, killing <laughs> That's not fair. Yeah, that's not fair. <laughs> So Circle of Scorn, right, the Paladin Dot is also an AoE. And so a few times, like a night, Circle of Scorn yep. would yep. tether the Renode, and then the Renode would club the Paladin, maintain, club everyone else while Super cool. Melisine goes around killing everybody. But yeah, God. we joined a group. So we like merged together with a group that had been doing it for over a year. And I mean, I need to admire their persistence, like hogging just that one turn. Yeah, there was a group that was led by two people. Um, one of them was like raided quite a bit. And then the other um, person in our group was determined to do everything in the game in patch order. And so they would not move on until they cleared it. And they just stayed on that. And the two of them were very persistent and people kept dropping out of their party and they kept bringing new people in and they just kept going and going for, <laughs> for a long time. And then eventually our group and their group merged. And once we had like a consistent eight people, it took two or yep. three months of two nights a week to to clear it. That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah static churn is the worst. Like you lose all your progress effectively. It, it's awful. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a hell of a brain drain. It makes it fucking impossible. Yeah. And I mean, people don't, you know, they're not very popular because of all the randomness and you're, 
it's not like a current rig where we're getting gear or things. Like sure. You're just doing it because you want to do it. It's hard to hold a group together. Yeah. Any other turn seven notes? Um, at the end, she casts her shriek on the main tank and one other person. And you have to tank swap, pull her to the center, and have two Renaults on the sides, and the two people with cursory have to go to the sides. Is that in the normal mode too? No, no, that that's specific to Savage. Okay, so two people get the circle petrification AoE. They have to go on opposite sides of the arena, I'm assuming, behind different Cyclops yes. to go off safely. And you tank swap because the main tank is guaranteed to get yeah. So the main tank of one wow. person will get it. <laughs> Incredible. Um, I think, and this is actually in um, normal mode. Is when the there's a huge ad called the the prosector. When the prosector dies, it gives a message saying Melusine's true powers have been released. And I don't know if there's a big change in normal mode, but in savage mode, that's what happens. There's also a dot called Algan Venom that goes out on four people. And it's a dot, it's cast on those four people, but it's a dot on everybody. So the healers just need to heal it on everyone. Asuna? Yeah, Asuna. Um, and if you have a bard, they have the move Warden's Pan, which is an Asuna. It's yeah. a bard Asuna. But people said that when the raid was actually current, the Scholar had an AoE Asuna. And that that mechanic was designed for the Scholar AoE Asuna. Wow. Okay, then on to turn eight. Uh, so yes, turn eight probably was the quickest for us. We kind of reorganized with the people who had cleared turn seven and some other people joined. So turn eight is the robot. So the main differences are that the towers are now random. So in turn, in turn eight normal... The towers come up in the, in the same order each time. Now the towers are random, oh, so man. the like the no. ad, the one of the towers puts an ad out. The ad tower will show up in different places. Oh my god! <laughs> no, I'm just I'm thinking of when when we were doing Savage, and if there was a variation on a mechanic, <laughs> Lord help you. Hopefully, there's only two variations because I would have half a page of notes. Like, if this happened, then this happened. Okay, then we do this strategy. But if this happens and this then happens, we do yeah. this strategy. I can't imagine all the variety of combinations that could happen with these towers spawning. Like, God bless you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Savage Coils are really built around RNG. It's bad. It's a bad idea. I think that at some point, the game designers made a decision not to design raids around RNG and to make it. Yeah, like, hey, do we like people? Maybe we don't do this. <laughs> so any mechanics that got you stuck besides the, the tower shakeup? There's a mechanic where two people are binded in place and then there's an orange circle around them and the correct number of people need to be in the orange circle. Yeah, the ballistic yep. missile. And then so you cannot... I forget exactly why. But the stacking up strategy does not work. You just have to adjust. <laughs> Great. So that causes a lot of issues. Because right? it's like, do I run in? Do I run out? Who knows? Um, and then Allegan Field, which is the mechanic where one person is marked with a debuff, right? And then if they take damage, 
all the damage that they take will then be spread to the whole party once the debuff runs out. The avatar, the, the big robot, is just casting that the whole time. As time goes on, starts casting that on two different people. Oh no. So for those ones, you shield them and they hide from the party, right? To avoid any chip damage. Yeah. But in the in Savage, the person with Algon Field can get the stack marker. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> That's turn eight. Turn nine is rough in normal mode. I can't imagine how Savage is. Um, so turn nine, Savage. The biggest difference in the first half is that she casts... There are Remember when six meteors fall down, right? Yep. Everyone had to spread out. And then it's sort of organized chaos with people running around. In Savage, there are actually eight meteors. And that is awful. Oh my god. That, that is just awful. Somebody could get two in a row, or maybe even three in a row. You can get two or even three. If a healer gets three, like I don't even know if it can be cleared if a healer gets three. <laughs> but if a healer is here, like, we had a, a system where like the healers were in the center and everyone else was around adjusting around them. Um, uh, and everyone had to have a potion, right? So once you started taking damage, you popped your potion. I yeah. was playing Summoner on that one. I had the um, Carbuncle Shield as well. Yeah. Total just organized chaos. My God. And this meteor is all over the place. And then <laughs> the golems won't be organized either because you'll have to just put the golems wherever there are no meteors. Wherever they'll fit, yeah. Yeah, wherever they fit. Because there's probably going to be meteors in the center because people will be running in and out of the center. Just mm -hmm. When the golems come, right? So now there are eight meteors. Every golem can only eat three. So one golem has to eat two and the other have to eat three. Or you'll wipe. That gets tricky. That's, that's still definitely something you can clear reliably, but that gets tricky. So because we have a DPS like party tanking one of the golems, because they have to be separated too, how hard does the savage golem hit? So we the red one, the DPS can survive. Okay. Someone would call out, we're going to take these two meteors, or sometimes we'll take three, and then just kill the red one. And the green one has a tank buster cleave. If a DPS takes a green one, that's really bad. But the red yeah. one, the DPS can survive. And it will, like, stop and do that move where it's, like, has those three big... The radiating AoEs. Yeah, the radiating yeah. AoEs. That's just annoying, but that's easy to... Yes. <laughs> and then Heaven's Fall happens. When, um... So in turn, whenever she does Heaven's Fall, Heaven's Fall is the big, giant, red thing, falls to the center and knocks you back. Whenever she's doing that, meteors fall... Cool. They're just proximity damage. It's not the system where if two meters are close, you wipe. So I think the way we, we, we did it was the first time Heaven's Fall happened, we, we dropped all our meteors in one spot and then sprinted away from that spot. And the second time, we spread out around the arena and used knockback resist. So that's the same mechanic where like a player is targeted and they have to run to a place to drop it? Not quite. It's it's more people are targeted and they just need to be away from someone else. Right. It, exactly. Yeah. In in addition to like the knockback, the death wall, the um the the cones, 
the cone AOEs that the the fucking column is is putting out. Mm-hmm. And just all of that. Let's just throw some meteors in there. Sure. Yep. Yeah, that's what it's that's what it is. And then the other big thing in the next part is that the dive there's great in normal turn nine, there are three dive bomb patterns. So you can use a system of markers and call outs to know where to go. In turn nine savage, someone said there's eighteen, or I just say, well, the the dragons are just in all different places. So you need to actually know how it works. You start at the north, you go around, the first two dragons, the, when the first dive bomb marker drops, the first two dragons will dive bomb that spot. And so you want to be between them. And then the third dragon, you want to be kind of drop the second marker next to the third dragon. And so we had people just calling out, um, we had people kind of looking around uh, the arena and calling out where they wanted people to go. So that's another, that's another RNG example of RNG fuckery because they wouldn't spawn in the same fucking spot. They will not spawn the same spot. You have to just sort of look at where they are. Monitor. Oh God. There's a little bit of that in, in P8S that I remember where you're just having to swing your camera around and like keep an eyeball out for this guy that spawns on outside of the arena. Um, like there's only I think, like two spaces he could, you know, two different spots he could go, but still like that level of, of the unknown having to pivot so quickly um, is like, it's really difficult. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> You're like, yep. <laughs> I actually didn't do PA that. Is that on your agenda after you finish up Eden? Hopefully Eden 12 on mine is very, very hard. I can imagine. <laughs> Hopefully we'll fit that eventually and then move on and do. Well, you're almost caught up still, even after only having done it for a very short yeah. time. So I'm sure you'll, you'll kill it and, and get all caught up in no time. Thank you. Yeah. So anything else of note in uh, turn nine? Any other new mechanics or mix-ups that are different from normal? The fire and ice is different. You have to stack for three of the fires instead of two because the ice are coming out more frequently. Oh my God. And she also, I think, does a mega flare after the dive bombs, which is just a big raid wide. <laughs> God, the normal one is so rough. I cannot imagine how long it will take you to get T9 cleared on Savage. Speaking of how long was that for you? Yeah, uh, that one took, it took our party about eight months. That wouldn't, that wouldn't mean it would take every party. And we were only okay. doing that one once a week. Either way, though, I mean, I, I believe it takes that long, frankly, given, again, how, how hectic normal is. I don't know if it would take every party that long, but that's how long it took our party. And we also, we had one spot that kept needing to be replaced. That'll, that'll delay, for sure. Well, after all that work, what do you get for it? You get a title for each one. You get Reflesia Reaper for turn six, Savage. Melisee Muller. For turn seven, Savage, the Avatar for turn eight, Savage, and a Dometrix for turn nine, Savage. <laughs> wow! Now you you can just do it unsynced and get those titles. So what you win is to know that your title is real. Correct. Yeah, deep down. <laughs> oh, the audacity to do it unsynced and then to like put that title over yourself. Ugh. A lot of people have the Dometrix. Well, yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. It's the spiciest. Uh, the other ones I the only people I've seen do the, no, have those titles are people that I did seven squirrels with. 
<laughs> I fucking earned this. But yeah, so we got through it all. It took, if we started in April of 2021 with turn six, and then it was November of 2022, we cleared turn nine. And our group had switched, switched between a lot of different people. I think there was me and one other person that went through the whole thing. Honestly, I think that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, like a year and a half, and you, you don't have the same, you don't even have the same people. And you're all, like, at least you were, like, just new to the game in general. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I think that's solid. Uh, I don't have any problems with you. <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking to us. This was super informative. Glad to know the inside story on the Savage version. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. I think it's uh, good. I like Coil's really tie. I think, yeah, I think it ties the story together by really going into the story of the Calamity and like how it happened and why it happened. I think it's also good that you're doing it synced because I feel like the fight, like a lot of the actual lore is sort of in the fights like in the mechanics in kind of what's going on in the fight oh absolutely like that Dalamud fragment in the third phase of uh, yep. T9 for instance like that that is really storytelling through mechanics yeah if you watch the trailer for Realm Reborn you will see that the heavens fall in the trailer towards the beginning oh and um, the different dragons of Mirosidia, there's actually, um, in some of the more recent content, there's more more about the war between the Algans and the Mirosidians. Oh, cool. So I guess you will, you're going, you don't want to... Yeah, some of the worst part actually is like knowing the answers to some things that are asked in earlier content and just like having to stay quiet about them for yeah. who knows how long. <laughs> Thank you again. This was fantastic. No problem. Thank you. All right, well, we'll see you on the Discord. Have a wonderful day. Yeah, have Likewise. A or night. <laughs> Yay! Thank you again to Daniel. Next time, we are starting on the final coil of Bahamut. Going to wrap this thing up. And that will do it for today's episode. If you want to get in touch, you can at podreturnffxiv at gmail.com. On the in the show notes, you can get information about our Discord, join the Discord, talk to players, join group runs, share your glams, um, all that good stuff. And uh, if you are so inclined, you can check out our Patreon. Uh, it's patreon.com slash podreturnffxiv. It's like like a tip jar situation if you want to throw us a buck. Um, we do release um, monthly-ish episodes of adjacent content that's just a little bit more casual, but uh, you'll get access to even more stuff. Um, so check that out if you want. And with that, we hope you enjoyed the episode. We appreciate you all so much for listening. Have a good day or night, and we will see you next time.